This is Linux Reality, Episode 23, Productivity Applications. Welcome, everyone. This is Chess Griffin. I'm your host, and this is the Linux Reality Podcast, and this is a podcast aimed at new Linux users and at Windows and Macintosh users who maybe have never tried Linux but have been interested in doing so, and I'm, I'm hoping that this podcast helps you and, and helps explain some of the issues and, and presents things in an easy-to-understand fashion, and this well, this podcast coupled with the forums, we've got some great things going on in the forums, and I think we've got some great listeners and great users out there who are willing to help, and that's what it's all about. Just trying to just trying to show people what Linux is about. So hopefully you'll find it helpful. Let's see. Uh, last time I asked uh, for feedback on on voicemail options that are out there, and I got some some good good responses. And I'm, I'm looking into some things. Keep them coming. You know, if you've got if you've got a suggestion on a free voicemail system that's out there, just let me know. Drop me a line at linuxreality at gmail.com. So I hope to get that up and running at some point in the future. Uh, along those lines, um, this was a topic that was brought up in the uh, uh, Linux Link Tech Show forums. And it has to do with uh, the RSS feed for the OG files. I have mentioned this in the past, but this podcast is presented in both MP3 format as well as OG Vorbis format. Now, OG Vorbis is a free and open source audio codec like MP3, but it doesn't have all the patent and restrictions that, that MP3 format does. And so I, I hope to help encourage the use and the adoption of the AUG uh, format by, by providing this podcast in AUG. And there is a separate feed for it. If you go to the Linux Reality homepage on the right-hand side under subscribe to the podcast, in the text there, there's a link to, a, to another feed where you can, you can drop that into your RSS uh, aggregator or your podcast uh, aggregator and that way you can get all the AUG versions. I really do believe that the AUG version sounds better. I mean, I listen to every single episode before I put them up, and I listen to both the MP3 and the AUG every single time, and I can definitely notice a difference, and the AUG is also slightly smaller. It has been. These last couple of episodes, I've been tweaking with the settings and trying to do it in mono, and it, the, the file sizes have been kind of strange, but I'm going to go back to the way I did it before because that seemed to work out pretty well. In any event, I really encourage you to, to check out the AUG feed if you have a player that, that, that plays AUGs. Unfortunately, the iPod doesn't, but there's a lot of great uh, audio players out there that do. I have both an iRiver and an iAudio, and those both play AUG, and uh, there's more and more each day. So, you know, even if you don't have a player now that, that, that plays the AUG uh, format, maybe next time when time comes for you to buy a new one, I would encourage you to check out those that do support it and uh, and you know let the vendors know let the makers know that you've chosen a player that that supports aug i really do believe that the that the future of of technology and computing as far as multimedia goes is an open source codex i think that the aug vorbis audio for, format and the aug theora which is an open source video format that's got to be the key to the future because then if that if those if that content is is presented in an open you know with an open standard then you can then it doesn't matter what uh player you use what operating system you use and to me that makes sense i mean it, it, the whole thing should be about the content not about the technology and you know unfortunately with the iPod and with with MP3 and DRM it it's about the technology and it's about the player and it's about the the music store and it to me i don't know may, maybe i'm wrong but it just seems like it should be about the content whether it's you know bands and music or whether it's podcasts or video stuff on the web so anyway 
uh, for whatever that's worth, I just want to remind everyone that we do provide this podcast in AUG, and we've been doing that since, gosh, episode three or four or something like that, so quite a while. I will clean up the homepage and, and maybe provide an easier find link to it. I think that's part of the problem. And I also need to put the AUG links, the direct download links, in each episode. So I'm, I'm, I've got some areas to improve in that regard, so I'm going to try to try to make those fixes also. Let's see. Um, one thing I thought I'd do before I kind of get into the heart of this particular episode is maybe from time to time just kind of talk about stuff I'm doing with with Linux. I just I don't know if people would I don't know if people find that interesting. Maybe that's being presumptuous, but I don't know. I just thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about some some other things. One thing I've been doing recently is working on a Debian uh, email server, and uh, so I've got one of my boxes set aside of. I've got Debian Sarge on that, and uh, I've been playing with getting an email server set up. There's some really good how-tos out there. Uh, there's one. There's a website called How to Forge, and uh, they've got a lot of great how-tos and guides and that sort of thing. And there's a good one there about setting up Sarge as an email server, and it's it's amazing how complicated it is. I mean, you've got to you know you've got to configure uh, postfix and uh, uh, spam assassin and clam av and and uh, the IMAP uh, packages to, so you can, you know, use set it up as an IMAP server and uh, create SSL certificates and all this kind of stuff. But it's really pretty cool, and I've, I've got it working. I've got it working great. I'm using, um, well, I've got several domains that I that I own and, and that I've used in the past, and so I've got one of the domains that I don't really use that much set up on this server, and it's, it's working pretty well. I've also got Squirrel Mail set up, which is a, a web-based uh, PHP, I think it's PHP, um, you know, web interface, kind of like, you know, web email, just like you log into Gmail or Yahoo, where you can set up Squirrel Mail, and that way you can log in and check your your home email from, from any web browser, just like you can with Gmail. And that's pretty cool, and that works out pretty well. So, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of fun. I, I, you know, a few weeks ago I had been messing around with setting up a Myth TV box as well. And for those who don't know, Myth TV is a, uh, personal video recorder, kind of like TiVo or something, but it's a free, it's a free and open source project. And I used a distribution called NopMyth, and it's based on Nopix. Uh, that's where the Nop, it's K-N-O-P-P, Myth, M-Y-T-H, NopMyth, and it's a live CD that you can then install. I think it's a live CD, uh, maybe not, but anyway, you can install it onto your, onto your box, and it will set up the Myth TV um, PVR. And that's working well. I've got uh, a um, Hopodge, I don't know if that's how you say it, Hopodge 350 card, and uh, and the Myth TV setup uh, detects that and configures it pretty well. And it came with a remote, and that works pretty well. The only issue that I've got so far is that I've I had it set up on a dedicated box plugged into my uh, to a spare monitor, and that and I was just using cable, you know, cable TV, regular analog cable plugged into the card and that found the channels and, and all of that it recorded and it worked fine so then I thought I'd move it over to we subscribe to like um, Time Warner cable and it's you know the digital cable and you have a separate PVR box that comes with it and so I connected up to that box because that box has a S video out and this card has an S video in so I got an S video uh, cable and connected the two and it worked and I could see the channels but you can't change the channels uh, I mean, anyway, because you know you've got to change the channels on the on the di- on the cable box, not on the Myth TV box. 
there's something called an IR blaster or something which will then let you use the PVR remote to change the channels on the cable box. But that's the that's where I've stopped. I haven't haven't gone any further with that. And uh, but it worked well and it played some DVDs. I tried ripping some DVDs and this box I have is a really old really old box. It's like a Celeron one gigahertz, so it would just take forever to you know encode a DVD. But anyway, so this is kind of fun. So. You know, uh, it's it's fun to have little pet projects like that. And uh, but you know, the email server is working fine. I, I can't decide whether or not to move my my email to it. You know, um, that's kind of a big step. Right now, I'm using Fastmail, which is a paid service. It's like thirty bucks a year or something, and it's nice because they give you it's IMAP and POP and uh, webmail, and you know, they give you access to proxy servers. So if you're behind a firewall, and and it'll work and it's really nice, and it's you know it's not that expensive, but it'd be kind of fun to have my own email server actually running my email. So I don't know, we'll have to see about that. So anyway, I uh, just thought I'd pass along some interesting little tidbits. Let's see. Um, okay, got a few pieces of uh, feedback that I'd like to get to, so let's check that out. Message for you, son. All right, first one I've got here is a is an email from Jim, and it's actually a follow-up to something we talked about a few weeks ago. A previous listener had asked about hardware, you know, what kind of old hardware would run Linux. And uh, Jim picked up on that in his email at one point. He says, uh, to amplify on a user's question about processors, a 386 will work okay command line, but X window will be painful. A 486 will do X window okay if it has 16 or more megs of RAM. With 8 megs, it will take about 5 minutes to boot, and every move of the mouse is accompanied by lots of hard drive rattling. A 486DX4 with 32 megs will work just fine with anything but GIMP and Mozilla. So, for whatever that's worth, that's great. Thank you, Jim. Very helpful. Sounds like uh, the the key is if you want to have a graphical environment, you need to have a 486. All right. Next email here is from Wayne, and Wayne says, Chess, great show. You have really found a niche. I've been a Windows user forever and always wanted to know more about Linux, but wasn't able to find the time. Your podcast has changed that and my way of thinking about free open source OS. I really like your form, e.g. updates, letters from readers, meat of the podcast. Even more so, I like that you don't waste time. Your music is short and you get to the task at hand. Great job, Wayne. Well, thanks, Wayne. And, uh, of course, I happened to read this email in the one show where I take a step and talk about some random stuff. But, anyway, we'll get to the meat of the show soon enough. But thanks, Wayne. I do appreciate it. Okay, and then I got an email from Mike, and Mike says, Hey, Chess, uh, my name is Mike. I just turned 15 last Tuesday, and I semi-converted over to Linux a couple months ago. I've had multiple OSs installed on my laptop in the last few months, including SUSE 10, 10.1, and the pre-release of SLED 10.0. SLED is the enterprise desktop, by the way. And Ubuntu 5.10 and 6.06. I am very knowledgeable when it comes to computers, and if there's something that I don't understand, I'd like to try and work it out. Learn more about it and understand it. I was looking for a site, podcast, show, etc. that explained Linux for beginners as well as my computer science teacher explained Java. You have done that in such a way that I would think you were him. Great work. I'm currently at episode 12 of your series and anxious to catch up to 22. You keep it solid, easy to understand, and lay a good foundation. I don't know if you were planning to cover this or if you already have, but I was wondering if you could go over dual booting with Windows and Linux. My computer is dual booted with Ubuntu 6.06 and Windows XP um, Service Pack 2. I'm very satisfied with your work, and I'm hoping for more great episodes to come up. You've just added another dedicated listener to your bandwagon. Thanks, Chess. That's from Mike. 
Well, thank you, Mike. And, uh, yeah, I would go back, and I think we did cover the dual booting and, and really the, the main issue, and it sounds like you've already got it set up with Ubuntu and Windows, but, you know, the two issues are the bootloader and the partitioning. And, you know, I recommend, you know, uh, either going with the Linux bootloader that's installed and just letting it overwrite the Windows master boot record, and it will usually put in an entry for Windows and Linux, or using a third-party bootloader that you install and then, you know, you just update whenever you add Linux to it. If you do that, you've got to make sure that when you install Linux, you have it point, you have it install the bootloader on the Linux partition, not the master boot record. And unfortunately, I mentioned this before, Ubuntu 6.06, the regular live CD install, does not give you that option. It only installs the bootloader on the master boot record. So you've either got to use the alternate install for Ubuntu or use a third party or something like that if you, you know, if you don't want to. Um, you know, that you can then overwrite again, I guess. Uh, but anyway, I don't know if that would work, actually. But uh, as far as the partitioning, I would recommend you think about partitioning ahead of time. I have always found that easier. I guess, you know, some people may think differently, but, but you know, rather than relying on the partitioning tools that come with the distribution, I would recommend using some kind of third-party partition manager and uh, set it up ahead of time. So, uh, And also, uh, Mike had sent me a follow-up email where he asked me about some hardware that he was thinking about buying and I won't read off the specs. I mean, it sounds really good, but you know, Mike, I actually am not probably the best person to ask about up-to-date hardware. I mean, all my boxes are pretty old. <laughs> I can't afford to buy, you know, new stuff. So, um, I honestly don't know what would be the best setup for, you know, a real, uh, you know, real up-to-date box. So, but why don't you post it in the forums? I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that would be able to help. So, Thank you very much, Mike. I sure do appreciate it. And uh, with that, I guess, you know, I've got a, I've got a lot of email actually this week, and I, I tried to get back to everybody, but, you know, as always, I wasn't able to get back to everyone. So, but I like to keep on trucking here. So let's check out a couple of listener tips. To start, press any key. Where's the any key? I see Esk, Kataro, and Pigup. There doesn't seem to be any any key. Hi, Chess. My name's Tim. I listen to your show outside of Chicago, and I wanted to send in a quick listener tip. And this is directed towards people who might be struggling with learning the command line. And to speed up that process, I suggest using a program that you mentioned in an earlier show called the Midnight Commander. So if you're in a terminal and you're trying to learn commands, I would try typing in MC and hit Enter. And what will come up is a two-panel file manager, text mode. All, everything can be done with a keyboard. And I think if you try and learn the command line within this tool, things will move along a lot faster. Um, it's very configurable, very powerful. Uh, for more information, you can Google Midnight Commander, and there's a pretty good Wikipedia entry. And I think that maybe the first configuration you should make when you go in this tool, I would do the F9 key, toggle over to Options, and hit Enter. And you go into the configuration, and there's an option there, Pause After Run. And if you go down there and hit the Y key, it says Always Pause After Run. And then you just hit OK and get out of there. So you can still you still have your command line prompt. You still have your arcane Linux commands to do things. But what the Midnight Commander gives you a more visual environment to learn with. And most of the Linux distros you download are going to have this on there. Uh, 
So in addition to learning the command lines, I would learn the ins and outs of the Midnight Commander, and you'll be, uh, you'll be glad you did because it's a very useful tool. That's all I got. Keep up the good work, Chess, and uh, I look forward to your next show. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Chess. This is Alexandro from Mexico. Since I'm involved with the open office community, I thought it would be a good idea for me to throw some tips regarding the word processing tool in OpenOffice. So this is a very quick tip and basically is used to apply uh, formatting to your text while you're typing. So we have the sentence, uh, the cat is chasing the dog. And we want to apply the bold uh, styles to the word dog. So when you're typing, the cat is chasing the you will then type the asterisk and then type the word dog followed by another asterisk and when you hit the space bar the word dog will automatically turn into bold. This is the same being applied to underscore. So let's say you want to put underscore under the word cat. So you will have to type the underscore cat underscore space is chasing the dog and this uh, will make the cat word turn into underline. So these are both very handy tips, and I hope your listeners uh, put them to work, try them out, and if they like them, they keep uh, working with them. Also, I have to say that I really enjoy your show. I think is uh, the correct way of doing a podcast for Linux newbies, and it's really best needed in the community since there's a lot of um, users that will like to try Linux operating system and they really need a helping hand and I think you're providing that right now okay good luck with your podcast bye okay so I hope you found those tips helpful and uh, uh, now in this main segment for this episode what I wanted to do is talk about productivity applications and I didn't really know what to call it but I guess I was what I was thinking of well let me preface it by saying I'm this podcast is mainly aimed at the home user and the desktop user, not so much enterprise stuff. I actually don't have much experience with Linux in a real enterprise setting because I unfortunately can't use Linux at work. So these productivity applications are really geared towards the home user or the, maybe the home office. And the two, um, the, 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 the two groups, I guess, is, um, are, well, are office applications and then financial management applications. So, that's kind of the where I'm headed right here. In the office applications, and this, of course, means word processors, spreadsheets, and all that kind of stuff, the main, I mean, the biggie is, of course, openoffice.org. I think a lot of people know about openoffice.org. It's an amazing project. The openoffice.org office suite, it's kind of like Microsoft Office. It comes with these components, Writer, which is a word processor, Calc, which is a spreadsheet, Base, which is a database tool, kind of like Access, Microsoft Access, Impress, which is a presentation like PowerPoint, Math, which is a component that lets you do equations and, and stuff like that, and then Draw, which lets you do charts and organizational graphs, or, or you know, organizational charts, graphs, kind of a, you know, drawing type program, I guess. And uh, the great thing about OpenOffice.org is that one thing, it's cross-platform. I mean, there's Windows versions, there's a Mac version. Unfortunately, the Mac version, at least the last time I checked, was not an OS 
X or OS 10 native, meaning it's not an Aqua native uh, tool. I think it requires the X11 package to be installed or the X11 software on your Mac to be installed. But it does run, and there are, are actually some some ports, some Java ports. I think there's something called NeoOffice for the for the Mac. It's like a Java version of OpenOffice. But uh, one nice thing about OpenOffice is it's just very full featured. I mean, if you know, I would say it's as far as the writer goes, comparing it to Microsoft Word, that's where I had the most experience. I think it's probably got 95% of the features that Word does. I really do. And I think those 95% of the features are used by almost 100% of the people. In other words, very few people use the features that are in Word that are not in OpenOffice. That's my opinion, at least. But I really think OpenOffice is so full-featured, and it's got just about everything under the sun. It can you know, import Microsoft Word documents, and, and Calc can import Excel spreadsheets. It can read and write to those formats. Of course, it can save in the open document format, and it can also export to PDFs, which is really nice. It's got great internationalization, and uh, if you go to the web page and look at the, all the different languages that OpenOffice is in, it's it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. The other neat thing about OpenOffice.org is that you can set a variable. It's out uh, rather than explain it. I'll try to find a link to some documentation that explains it, but you can have OpenOffice.org run in kind of like native mode for GNOME or KDE. In other words, you know, just generic OpenOffice has its own toolkit and and look and feel, and you can set it so it will run with your KDE theme sort of integrated or your GNOME theme kind of integrated. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't change the menus or anything, but it, it changes the look and feel. And uh, so if you're using, you know, clear looks in GNOME, it can, you know, have that clear looks look, I guess. And uh, if you're using something in KDE, it can look like that. That's where a lot of the distros do, like Ubuntu and SUSE. If you run their open office, you look at, you know, it looks really polished and slick and it really fits in well. It's very integrated. That's what they're doing. They're running open office with that. KDE or GNOME switch turned on, if you will. So OpenOffice is fantastic. Some people say it's a little slow. And, you know, sure, it's a little slow the first time you you run it. But I really think that once you run it, even if you were to shut it down, you know, close it, and then start it up again, it's much faster because it's already kind of loaded some of the stuff into memory. And, you know, to be fair, I think that's what Microsoft does with Office. I think when you install Office and you boot up Windows, it preloads some Office stuff in the background. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly seems like it. So, you know, comparing apples to apples, I think you got to compare, you know, after you've started up OpenOffice once and after you've started Word once and compare the two. And I think then they're a lot closer in speed. But plus, of course, it's free and open source. Um, Actually, I don't. I mean, I guess there are some licensing, but it is it is a fantastic project, and uh, Sun is to be commended for um, opening that project up to the community. So, definitely check out OpenOffice.org. Okay, the next application I wanted to mention is Abbey Word. Now, Abbey Word is a GTK application, and it's a it's basically it's just a word processor. It's like Word. It's basically just a Microsoft Word c- clone, and if if OpenOffice.org has 95% of the features of Word, I'd say Abbey Word probably has 80 to 85% of the features. And I still think that 80 to 85% of the features is good for probably 90% of the population. For me, 
I mean, my usage of word processing is, I mean, it's basic. I don't need any fancy tools. And so Abbey Word works great. It's fast. It's light. It also reads Microsoft Word documents probably not as well as OpenOffice.org, but still pretty well. It's got, you know, a nice mail merge feature. It's got also has good internationalization, and there are multiple versions cross-platform. There's a Windows version and a Mac version as well. It's got a plug-in uh, feature, so other parties can write plugins and add to it. So it really is a is a great application. It's usually not installed by default in, in most distributions because they tend to install OpenOffice. But uh, I definitely recommend you check out Abbey Word in addition to OpenOffice. I, I really highly recommend it. Uh, Abbey Word is part of this project they're calling the GNOME Office. And it's sort of a, it, I don't know if it's really gone very far, but the idea was to create sort of an office suite for GNOME because KDE has KOffice, which we'll get to next. But Abbey Word is supposed to be the word processor of the GNOME Office, and the spreadsheet is numeric. So that's the next application. Numeric is a, or gunumeric, or I don't know, but I just say numeric. It's like an Excel spreadsheet, and it also imports Microsoft Excel, and I think it does Excel importing better than um, OpenOffice Calc. That's just been my experience. I mean, they're both excellent. I'd give a slight edge to numeric. It's very fast as far as spreadsheets go. It's very full-featured, and... Uh, I mean, it's a spreadsheet, so I don't really know what else to say about it. But uh, it's also a GTK application. So, you know, if you use GNOME or XFCE or something, it'll it'll fit right in very nicely. Then, of course, there's KOffice. And KOffice is the KDE Office Suite. It's, it's sort of, um, it's unique to KDE. I don't believe that there are ports to other um, operating systems like there are with Abbey Word and OpenOffice.org. I wouldn't think so because it is basic, it is really a KDE application. But the components are KWord, KSpread, KPresenter, and, and K, I don't even know how to say it, KXL. Um, but that last one is, is like an access. It's like a database application. KPresenter is like the um, PowerPoint type present type application. KSpread is the, is the spreadsheet. KWord, of course, is the word processor. Now, the interesting thing about KWord is that it's different. It doesn't operate kind of like a traditional word processor. It, they call it frame orientation. And it, it, basically, you create frames or boxes, and, it, and it, you, know, you can sort of arrange the flow of the words on the page. It's almost more like, and I've never really used this application, so maybe this is not a good analogy, but... If you've used Pages in on, on the Macintosh, it's the, the new Apple word processor. I think it's more like that, or it's almost like a, I don't want to say a newsletter creation. It's not that, really, but it's it's more analogous to that than a, than a word processor. I mean, but it works great as a word processor as well. And it also imports Microsoft Word, and, you know, it, I'd say its its importability, if you will, is maybe on par with Abbey Word, maybe not even as good as Abbey Word. The, I have done some, some tests with just a few different sample Microsoft Word documents, and um, I'd say OpenOffice is probably the best with Word. Abbey Word is right behind it, and KOffice, or KWord is right behind Abbey Word. But that's just been my informal testing. But the great thing about KOffice is that it's very integrated with KDE. So if you use KDE, definitely check out KOffice. And then the last Office type of application that I want to mention is called DIA. 
And it's not one I've used too much. I've used it a little bit. But Dia is supposed to be like Microsoft Visio. And unfortunately, Visio is an application I've had to use a lot. And Visio is a is an application that lets you create diagrams and flowcharts and, you know, um, office layouts and, you know, junk like that. And uh, it's okay. It's it's kind of a pain in the neck application to use, but, you know, but it does its job. The problem with Dia, and this is not Dia's fault, but Visio is a really proprietary file format. Well, so, so are Word and Excel, but... I guess people have sort of reverse engineered those for these other suites, but but it does not import Visio charts. So if you use Visio, unfortunately, Dia won't won't read those. But if you need something to create an organizational chart from scratch or some sort of you know flow chart or something, definitely check it out. It is a great application in and of itself, even though it doesn't import uh, the the Visio format. But still, it's a great application. So. Those are sort of your office applications. Now, one last thing before I get to the financial management uh, applications. If you really need to use Microsoft Office in and of itself, you have two options. One is Wine, and we haven't really talked about Wine other than in passing, but Wine is that implementation of the Microsoft Windows APIs, so you can run some Windows applications in Linux. And then there's the Code Weavers Office. Um, I mean, the Code Weavers uh, application and Code Weavers is a company that has taken Wine and and built a commercial product on top of it, and they give back to the Wine project in terms of code, and they're very good about that. It is a pay product; you do have to pay for it, but it's not that expensive—thirty or forty bucks a year or something like that. I don't know; maybe it's not even a year. Maybe it's just a one-time fee. But um, I have used the Code Weavers stuff in the past. Many years ago, they had a Code Weavers plugin thing that lets you run QuickTime and all that, and I use that. And I've used some demo versions of their Office product, and it works well. And the nice thing about it is that we'll run other applications like Quicken, and I think it runs Photoshop 7 and uh, several different several different applications. If you go to their website, you can you know they've got a rating for different applications like gold or silver or bronze or something that lets you know how well it runs. So, you know, if Microsoft Word and Excel or something or PowerPoint are a necessity, then you know, Wine or the Code Weavers product is a possibility for you. Okay, now, okay, now about the financial management applications, I've really only got well, I've got three main ones to talk about, and the first one is New Cash or GNU Cash, and it is a fantastic uh, accounting software. It's a fantastic piece of software. It really is. It's it's it. They actually just released version 2.0, I believe. And it's now GTK Plus. It's been updated, and it works extremely well. And I think now it can import data directly from your bank using the OFX, which is, I guess, some sort of standard among banks for, um, you know, for connecting over the internet. All of these applications I'm going to mention, at least as far as I know, will import Quicken data that you download. You know, my bank. What you can do is you can, you know, you can use their website for banking. You can download your transactions in a Quicken data format of some kind. Or you can, if you have like Quicken or Microsoft Money, you can use that software to connect directly to the bank and down your, download your transactions straight into the software and also pay bills from the software. The pay bills from the software is the one thing I really like. And the, the application I use, which I'll get to last, does do that. But I think GNU Cash does now as well. I haven't tried it, so that's actually on my list of things to do very soon. But I think the new version of GNU Cash will 
import data directly from your bank as long as they have that OFX standard. Um, so it's a fantastic application. I just can't say enough about it. It does the, you know, the the type of accounting. It's um, we've got like the two ledgers, sort of incoming and outgoing, and and so it's a little bit different than Quicken. It doesn't operate exactly the way the same way. It's more of a true accounting application like QuickBooks. And uh, so if you're into that sort of thing, definitely check it out. There's also KMyMoney, which is a KDE application, and that is one I've not used very much. I've heard a lot of good things about it, but unfortunately I can't say much about it. I'm just bringing it to your attention as another possibility, especially if you use KDE. But the last one, the one I use, is called Money Dance. And Money Dance, the biggest strike against it is it's not free, meaning both it costs money and it's not open source. But the good thing about it is that it's cross-platform. You can use it for Windows, Mac, and Linux, and all three of them are updated at the same time because it's a Java application, actually. And if you're rolling your eyes, don't, because, I mean, I used to not like Java applications because they looked very heavy, but this is slick. It's not like that at all. It's a lot like Quicken. I mean, you can tell they've really modeled it after Quicken. It does reports. You know, it's your typical Quicken-type checkbook thing where you can track categories and accounts and all of that. And the great thing about it, for me at least, is it does the importing directly from my bank and it pays bills directly to my bank. That is great. I love that. And I've been using Money Dance for three or four years now. And uh, I've used it uh, on my Linux machines. And we also have mentioned we have one Mac here at home and I have it on the Mac as well. And I have the data on the server so I can connect to it from both computers. I mean, from the Mac or any of my Linux computers, and it works great. So definitely check out Money Dance. Now, two other financial applications I was going to mention is one called SQL Ledger, and that's a PHP web-type application that uses some sort of MySQL or some other kind of database to, to maintain its, its data. I've heard good things about it, but I haven't checked it out. And then there's also NOLA, which is, I think is a commercial application for accounting, and those are probably more along the lines of QuickBooks you know, more for, for an office than, than a home. But those are those are two two options. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, QuickBooks itself, I think, runs on the Code Weavers product. So if you have to use QuickBooks, that is a possibility. So I hopefully uh, this has been helpful. And, um, um, you know, I think these office applications, there's a lot of promise in there. There's a lot of challenges. None of them are perfect. But I have found that most of them work very well for most people. So with that, I think it's time to wrap it up. Okay, well, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and for the feedback and for the the comments in the in the podcast alley have been awesome. I really I just, I check those out. And I just want to thank you, folks, for doing that. By the way, we've broken the top 100 at Podcast Alley. I think last time I checked, it was we were in the you know 80 or 90 somewhere in that range. So that is just awesome. I thank you so much, and please keep casting those votes. And uh, I, I do appreciate that. And send the feedbacks and the audio, audio feedbacks, audio comments, as well as your listener tips, your audio listener tips. Send all that stuff to linuxreality at gmail.com. As, as I said, I read every single email, and I listen to every single comment and all that, and I try to get back to everyone as best I can. And I also try to post in the forums as best I can. I'm a little slow there sometimes, but, but I do read it, and I do check it out, do see what's going on. So thank you so much. 
Next week, we are going to look at some video applications. I probably should have done it this week, right after audio, but in fact, someone emailed me and said that, but hey, I already planned on this, so we'll do that next week. So stay tuned for that, and I hope you stay subscribed and let your friends and family know about us. Uh, This has been Episode 23 of Linux Reality. See you all next time. Bye-bye.